everyone. Thank you for tuning into Unapologetically Different Podcast with Key and Pierre. This is our eighth episode. Ooh. <laughs> Let's go. Um, I love it. <laughs> it's amazing. We reached number eight. That's yeah, a big deal. Seriously. Um, last week we discussed Shackles Part One pertaining to the 13 documentary on Netflix. Now this episode we will continue with the same discussion in terms of prison industrial complex but primarily we'll be speaking specifically about Khalif Broder. Yeah so for those of you who don't know who Khalif Broder is just going to give you guys like a brief background and summary of the entire situation. So Khalif Broder back in 2010 was a 16 year old boy from the Bronx who spent three years on Rikers Island without ever being convicted of a crime. The his story came out on a documentary and it was a six part documentary series on Spike TV. The documentary series wrapped up last week and you definitely should check it out if you haven't because it's like very enlightening about what that what really goes on in prison, especially at Rikers because that's where he stayed for for the three years. And yeah, it's just a really powerful documentary. So Khalif was stopped and arrested in 2010 in New York City, and he was accused of stealing a backpack. His family was unable to pay for his bail, which was $900 at the time, which just alone kind of just sets up the, basically, the, the what a lot of people who live in the South Bronx were going through at the time, and a lot of people who are in the bail bond in the prison system a lot of people can't even afford to actually pay bail to get out of jail. And this is usually a thousand dollars and below. So, and also keep in mind that it was $900 and his father at the time, um, the, his mom had reached out to his dad. I believe they had separated at the time of this happened for the money and he wouldn't provide it cause he felt like Khalif was trouble. And finally the family was able to get money from a friend or a neighbor, but by the time they were able to submit it to the um, bills bondman, then his um he was not able to they did not qualify the bill because um he was on probation because of a, a previous incident because he got locked up this time around he actually was prohibited from coming out of jail doing to bail. Yeah. So yeah, his family wasn't able to pay for the bail, so he had to wait in prison while he awaited his court date or his day in court, which everyone's entitled to. And he spent a total of 800 days in solitary confinement and over 1,100 days in total in prison. He was released in May 2013, and he committed suicide shortly after in June 2015. Sadly to say, the, the person that actually accused Khalif of robbing him of his backpack he actually was of Mexican descent, but ended up fleeing the country as a result of his just growing fear and paranoia around living in the Bronx and after that incident where he was robbed. And it, it's crazy to say that the prosecutors were actually aware, aware of the fact that their one witness wasn't around and wasn't even in the country and they continued to prolong the process before the, the judges actually realized, hey, these prosecutors over the past three years, they don't even have 
they don't have a witness. This isn't like a super complicated case. There's only one person who said Khalif robbed him, and that's it was pretty straightforward. And even without that witness, they continue to prolong the case, even after the witness was long gone on the other side of the border. And yeah. But also, too, like even when the guy, the witness points at Khalif out one night when he was with his friend and he got taken up by the cops, it's like he was communicating to the cop, like, um, as saying that that's the guy that robbed him. But it was like a week ago. It didn't happen like very recent, like a day before or something like that. Yeah. And it just ties into how the stereotypical, how black men are perceived of all looking alike. And he made the assumption that this guy robbed him when in fact he didn't. Yeah. Um, and then also, what I liked was that the documentary discussed his fears and his concerns as to why he fled the country because he didn't feel safe because he was robbed. Yeah. And he, I believe at what was stated in the documentary that, that he was, there were times, I guess he probably was traumatic from the experience and anytime he'll see a black man, I guess he made the assumption he will be robbed. So he fled and went to Mexico. Um, but I think it's, it's problematic in a sense that the prosecutor knew all of this information. They knew that this person fled and didn't really have any interest of returning. Um, I believe his brother was still here, but they kept prolonging it as if they still had a case. Right. Knowing that that was a very big key element of um, the case. And if, you know, if in fact if it was found out sooner, he probably would have been able to be out of prison <clears throat> Yeah, one thing, earlier than later. Yeah, one thing that I found really interesting about this documentary... I came to find out that 97% of people who are doing jail time, they're doing that jail time because they've gotten a plea. They didn't actually go to court and go to trial. They just took a plea to get less time and then actually serving that sentence. And I think that's that's kind of scary when you think about it. People are actually doing time for sometimes crimes they're not even guilty of just to get just to get less time because it's so bad where they're at. And and also, too, like, people who are in jail for and they can't afford bail. In a documentary, spoke about, like, in the South Bronx and, like, you know, talk about the impoverty that exists in the Bronx or whatever the case may be. Um, and how that affects a prisoner. Like, if his parents had the money readily available, his family had the $900, you know, maybe there was a likely chance of him coming out. Not quite sure because it kind of... Um, prohibited him because he got locked up in this scenario which affected his previous incident yeah but um that too that sparked a, I, I believe a really interesting conversation in a documentary is how people are in prison and they can't afford bail like you know they don't have friends and families that they could turn to and bail bondsmen so i mean you could be in jail innocent yeah and don't even want to take a plea but you're forced to take in a plea because you can't afford bail and depending on what jail you're in, primarily like Rikers, as you can see what was going on in the documentary, was like, why would I want to stay here? Yeah. Might as well I take a plea and do a lesser time or try to um, come out of jail earlier. But then it becomes that thing of this charge being on your record. Yeah. You know, it's we last episode we talked about the 13th, the prison industrial complex and how if you have... Um, a charge on your record, how it affects you a lot in terms of you trying to find work, primarily as a man of color and as a black man. So can you imagine someone taking a plea for something that they're innocent for just for the sake of getting out of prison, but in turn it actually affects them because they can't find work in the long run to take care of their family or even elevate in society in terms of social class. So I think that's also something to really kind of keep in mind in terms of this film. But one thing that was really prevalent throughout is that Khalif did not take a plea. 
he was like against it because he did not want it on his record and he did not want to face the consequences of having that on his record and you know in the midst of watching these six series and stuff like that do you think what he did was an act of courage um yeah i think would you have done that to be a hundred percent honest, keep it a hundred. Keep I, it a hundred. I do not think I would have survived three years at Rikers Island. No way, and I probably would have plead pleaded guilty, gotten out, and just figured some way out of that situation and just make my life work. I just want to say one thing, like. I feel like it's a vicious cycle. Let's say you are someone like in Khalees case who was actually innocent and didn't actually do the crime. When you plead guilty and then you have that on your record, it definitely makes life that much harder afterwards. But I don't think that's to say that there's no getting out of it. It is a vicious cycle and it can just cause a lot of difficulty and hardship in your life going forward. But to be honest, I would have banked on myself on just being able to get out of that situation but not a lot of people are as fortunate like in terms of networking, friends and family that I have and just relationships that I've created for myself. Being fortunate in the way I grew up. I didn't grow up in the South Bronx. I didn't grow up really impoverished the way his family was. And I like it actually broke my heart like actually watching the documentary. I was like, damn, if that was like my cousin like or something, I'm like I would have paid the bond for him and gotten him out of it, but yeah, I I could not have I highly doubt I could have stayed in prison that long. No, especially after seeing what the program is there. Yeah. Yeah. When they spoke about that and being a part of the program, and if you're not, then it's like all hell breaks loose, and then they'll jump you frequently or whatever the case may be. And he wasn't down with the program. Yeah. But he noticed, like, he's a very intelligent guy, Um, and I hate that we're talking about him in the past tense because he's no longer here. Rest but in um, peace. rest in peace, Khalif. But it really bothers me because, like, it's. I feel like throughout this whole process, he was like really trying to set, like, kind of differentiate himself from everyone else, and really trying to be like, I'm not doing that. I'm not a part of this. Pro- First of all, I'm in this in- situation, and I shouldn't be here to begin with. I'm completely innocent. I'm not going to take a plea. Um, and that to me was a form of being courageous. And then also, in fact, being in Rikers itself and being in that that you know, being in that situation itself, like, and going through all the stuff that he went through and still stuck it out and then said on top of that, I'm not going to join no program and be down with this. And then he realized that some of the correction officers and inmates, um, actually some of the correction officers were corrupt and they were partaking in activities that they weren't supposed to. And, um, to me, I feel like what he did was an act of courage. I'm not sure if it's something I would have done. Mm-hmm. I'm all about fighting a good fight. I'm all about doing a protest. But I think in the context of this and being in prison, and I think at some point even his mother said, she's like, I get why he did it, but I just wish he didn't because I would have rather him be home. And all of these things did not happen in the documentary, which is a really hard part to watch along with like several other scenes in the documentary for me. I literally was emotional throughout because it was like this really happened and it was like a situation he really didn't have much control of it and he's trying to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and trying to stand firm like this is what I'm not going to do because I don't want to be a subject to the systematic way of how I'm treated as a black man but then again he still falls into that yeah which to me is like really like it was like really crazy to me it's like he was born into this and it's like a life that he did not ask for and he had to 
really deal with cards cards that was dealt to him and he tried to play the game the best way he could and unfortunately he lost yeah just one thing i wanted to point out just for those of you who haven't seen the documentary just to quickly explain what the program is and i just did the air quotes you can't see that (laughs) but the program is essentially the program that the correction officers and all the inmates essentially that's that's the game that's played at rikers there are different gangs and different sets in the prison and when new when new inmates come in they're essentially given the opportunity to get with the program and as a new inmate you pretty much have to give up your commissary give up any cigarettes or any goods that you may have they mentioned giving up muffins on muffin day which was sunday and by doing that you just gave yourself protection in the in the prison but Khalif, he actually didn't, he wasn't with the program. And because of that, he became a target of all the gangs in the prison. So whichever, he, he actually was moved throughout different cell blocks throughout the prison. Like yeah, he was. over 20, 30 different locations in the prison. And everywhere he went, it was essentially just jumps and getting fought and like it because was just he wasn't brutal. down with the program and then also yeah. you can see through the documentaries there are times that he got jumped like I believe in a cafeteria area yeah. where one of the guys kind of spray painted the camera yeah. so no I mean s- no one could see but you know what essentially happened in terms of him getting jumped and then there was another incident where he got jumped as well with fighting with another inmate that kind of violated him in a sense and then they end up jumping him and then you can see like the guards coming to separate it and then the guys left and came back into the room it was like a solid like 20 to 30 young dudes and it's like for one guy and the guards couldn't even like hold them which I thought was kind of crazy but he explained there was a time when he got cut I believe in his face or his neck um so he's received um plenty times he's been in altercations and issues and where he got jumped and brutally hurt also too to um bring it back in terms of him being in jail um he wanted to commit suicide several times which is something that we talk about in terms of like mental health and stuff like that in black community. At one point in the documentary, two guards were encouraging him to hang himself. And so in the documentary, you could see two guards standing outside of his cell because the cameras, of course, are not in their cells. And they're like standing outside of it. You can see that they're talking to him or they're engaging in some aspects. But at that point, you don't see what Khalif is doing. Khalif is basically hanging himself because they're telling him, go ahead, kill yourself. And... As he did that and hung himself, they said, you know, once we cut you loose, it's going to hurt. When they cut him loose, they basically beat the crap out of him. It was two grown men guards beating the crap out of this little boy. And um, he ran into the hallway. That's how smart he was. He ran into the hallway because he knew the cameras was in the hallway. And you can see them continuing to beat him in the hallway. And I was like, how the... Like, I was about to curse. But it's like, how are you going to sit up here... And jump this guy. It's two grown men after you don't encourage him to hang himself. Like, I don't even understand how, I don't even fathom the thought that they even still have jobs if they do. Like, you encourage him to hang himself, and then when you cut him down, you beat the crap out of him. Yeah. Are you mad because he listened to your advice to hang himself? And you realize what kind of situation it is now, how severe it is? How about you try to have a conversation with him and console him? Instead, you encourage him, and then in turn, after encouraging him, you beat the crap out of him. And I was really bothered by that. And I was just like, are you serious right now? Like, another girl had to come and get them off of him. And I was like, so this is what we're doing now. We're encouraging prisoners to commit suicide. 
And the I think one of the even worst parts about that scene was that entire incident was never reported. The fact that he tried to commit suicide was never reported to his mom or his family. Yeah. It pretty much just went unsolicited. Like mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't mention it anywhere. But clearly with the video footage you got to see it unfold and take place. So it just it just shows that he was dealing with not only the gangs that were in the jail, but also dealing with the correction officers as well, which essentially were their own. They were they were the the top of the food chain, so he was alone in prison. It was like all by himself, and then also too like there were two things. His family noticed he was losing weight a lot because he said in some aspects he was being tortured by the guards because they wouldn't feed him or they'd feed him once a day or whatever. They were very strategic with how they fed him, of course. And there was one incident where you can see that the guard was like arresting him by the um the the bars, <laughs> by the prison bars, and because he knew that he had to take a shower, and I guess they were having an exchange of words or whatever, and then the guard like took him out of the um out of his cell and he arrested him like put the handcuffs on him of course and because basically in Rikers from point A to point B you're always going to have a handcuffs the majority of the time and he had the um cuffs on him and he was going to escort him to the bathroom and then he like ended up beating him and f- literally was on top of him and I was like how the hell are you going to beat up a dude that's already detained like he has handcuffs on him like what is it that he could do now I'm not sure what the exchange of words were. Um, Khalif did speak about it in terms of in the documentary. But at the same time, I feel like in regards to a guard, it's like, this is your job. There needs to be some level of respectability and accountability. Like, how can you practically beat someone or be on top of them when they have, they are arrest, arrested? And um, you've seen several guards come to split it up. And that was another incident that really bothered me. And I was just like, you know, I, I think in some aspects is power control. And, you know, feeling like I'm empowered because I'm not, I'm in a uniform, you're arrested, and I have control in terms of the situation. And I just felt like he could have handled himself much better, the guard. And I don't even think that incident was reported. And that was on the camera. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't get how these things were happening. And it wasn't, I don't get how these things were happening. And it wasn't like addressed at all. I think just also to add some more color as well, the all of these incidents where he hung himself, attempted to hang himself, and then where he was beaten by the guard as he was getting escorted to the shower, this was all taking place while he was in solitary confinement. So he was in jail for, again, over 1,100 days. But again, 800 out of those days were in solitary confinement. And I think if... From from what the from what inmates in the jail and in the documentary talked about, solitary confinement was the worst part of that entire experience. It essentially was you locked up in a jail. I mean, sorry, in a box that usually was sweltering hot, nothing to do other than. They said they were counting the cracks on the walls, Basically. or just counting the bed springs. There was vomit on the walls, feces, rodents. It was rodent infestations in there. And I just think that's crazy that prison prisons are supposed to be rehabilitation centers, but they're putting essentially minors in solitary confinement. And they pretty much saw that these kids who were going in these in solitary confinement 
pretty much were going crazy. They were developing medical issues like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, not being able to sleep, and that just, the list just goes on. So, and also to tie it in, there was a part of the documentary where um they spoke about prisoners having schizophrenia, and the guards, when they were speaking to themselves, the guards thought they were talking to them and not knowing because they are not properly trained to deal with people with schizophrenia, which to me is like... This don't make no sense. Yeah. You put somebody in solitary confinement for long periods of time, especially a minor, and you don't know how to deal with them when they come out of it. Like, so you guys are trained to lock them up. You're trained to put them behind bars. You're trained to monitor them, but you're not trained to deal with them in the aftermath of when they come out of solitary confinement and you're their first real contact. Yeah. Like to me that's even more problematic because it's like, okay, so you you're gonna put him in there, he's talking to himself, you think he's disrespecting you, so now you're gonna beat the crap out of him and he's not even talking to you. And then he's resisting arrest. He's arresting arrest, which is more 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 days in solitary confinement. Yeah. And then he's in more trouble. But because you can't seem to comprehend and understand his current state of his mental state, yeah. Now he's he's gonna be the one at fault. So that to me, I was just like, if, if you're going to have prison industrial complex exist and you're going to have people in jail, whether they're 100% guilty or not, because there are innocent people in jail, we know that. And so if that's happening, no matter who is in jail or whatever the case may be, and you're going to put them in solitary confinement, you need to have guards who are trained to deal with those kind of people when they come out of it. You cannot make the assumption that everyone knows how to deal with people who are in solitary confinement for long periods of time, and when they get certain types of depression or they, their mental illness is triggered, you have to be able to either have a guard or several that can really communicate with those people so that there's no... There's no lack of communication and there's no misunderstanding. It's like, oh, you're not talking to me. I understand that this is this is deeper than me. So I'm not going to beat the crap out of you. I'm actually not going to starve you as a punishment. And I'm not going to beat you while you have handcuffs on and continue to have your solitary confinement for days on end. I'm going to try to understand you and communicate with you so we're on the same page. I think just to add on to that, the, the prison systems, especially as we got to see about Rikers, it's pretty much broken and there's a lot of corruption because there were not only are there gangs in the prison the the CEOs are clearly aware of this they're giving there were former CEOs who were giving stories about if there were troubled inmates and doing the air quotes again sorry you guys mm-hmm. can't see that we, yeah. we may need to set up like some sort of like <laughs> live video stream or put this on YouTube somewhere Someday. but yeah yeah so um the former CEOs were talking about they would go to the head of different gangs and if they had troubled inmates air quotes they can actually have the gang member take care of them that way they don't have to get involved and it's just inmates doing what inmates do and then outside of that the guards also were smuggling weed cocaine knives like just smuggling like just the fact that i understand drugs and cigarettes like maybe inmates are paying them for that, but you're literally smuggling weapons in that they're using to literally hurt each other, kill each other, and could also more time in jail, right? <laughs> and then also that can be used on your fellow officers yeah. who are there. Like that just was so mind-boggling to me that, like, who would be the one? 
it's like the cycle of destruction continues yeah. with the whole prison industrial complex, pr- primarily to Rikers because that's what the documentary speaks specifically about. Also, um, the last judge on a Khalif broader case was Pat- Patricia Domingo. Um, she was brought in because she's considered a no nonsense um, type of judge, and she was a closer. She was normally she was able to get inmates to plea on their cases and kind of make the cases go by pretty rapidly in the court system because it was a backlog, primarily in the Bronx. Um, with that being said, when she came in to take over his case, the prosecutors kept saying they had the witness, they had the witness, and the, they was going to fly the witness from Mexico, and they never did. And then um, Patricia was like, she'll give them one more chance to be ready for the trial, and then come to find out, she realized that they did not even have a witness here. And so with that being said, um, it prior to... Prior to her finding out whether they had a witness, they were really, they were, the prosecutors was willing to deduct the charges to a misdemeanor because they didn't want to lose this case. And then when Patricia realized, Patricia Domingo realized that they did not have the witness put in place, that's when Khalif was released out of prison finally, which was a long, crazy process of three years and a back and forth with the witness. And now this was his chance and he was able to leave prison. At this point, when he did leave prison, um, he was trying to get his life back together. He was going to Bronx Community College. He was maintaining over a 3.4 GPA and was looking to take nature excursion to see the world outside of the South Bronx and get a new perspective on life. Um, but he never made it to that point. In November 2013, he was hospitalized after another failed suicide, suicide attempt. He did not receive any long-term treatment for his paranoia, depression, past traumatic stress disorder, um, which was really pivotal at this point because he went through so much in prison. Now he's out and now he was trying a suicide attempt and he wasn't, he did not, he was not able to get the proper treatments that he needed to actually move forward. So with that being said, Pierre, do you think if he was to get proper treatment for like his paranoia, depression and past traumatic stress disorder subsequent leaving the prison, do you think it would have made that much, do you think it would have made an effect on his life in terms of him still being here and continuing to commit suicide? I think without a doubt. I think the fact that he spent over two years in solitary confinement, that literally messed him up. And there were just countless there are countless just stories about people who were in the prison who spent time in solitary and they said they felt like they were going crazy. Khalif said that when he, before he went to jail, he used to look at people who talked to themselves and he felt bad for them or make jokes, but he realized he became one of those people. And just, there's been studies that just talked about the, the, the effects of solitary confinement and just how it just, can deteriorate your personality and just who you are and just changes and um they one of the things i really found interesting they called it the bing in the documentary and one of the scientists who was giving just a recount of how the solitary confinement actually affects people's brain is that over time just constantly being locked up in there with no freedom not being able to do anything you run out of things to count you run out of things on the walls to be angry about or whatever the case may be your brain just goes bing and it's like at that point something actually happens to your brain and it just like explodes okay 
So I think if he did get the proper treatment and care post coming out of prison, it would have definitely made a difference for him. And I can't say for certain if he would commit suicide or not, but coming out of prison and just being put on depression medicine versus actually getting real help and just real medical attention definitely, I think could make all the difference to somebody. Yeah, and then also being thrown into society and having to be taught to recover from the past incidents that he had. And he said he missed out on his childhood. Yeah. So he not really having the opportunity to do the things that he wanted to do for the past couple of years. So I do think that's important. And I'm not sure if it would have made a difference in terms of him not committing suicide. But I do think that it wouldn't have hurt for him to have those proper services provided to him. And hopefully it would have made much of a difference. <clears throat> yeah. And then just also his environment where he lived in, he was in the South Bronx. They they did say that there were bloods on his block, Crips down the block, Latin Kings up the street. Like he wasn't in a very safe, conducive environment most of the time. Yeah. There were people, there were incidents during the film where People thought he had money because he was on television. He was on the Rosie O'Donnell show. And yeah. people were, like, trying to go after his family. Like, his brother, that one scene where they got arrested because they were trying to rob him because they thought he had money. So, it's like... Yeah, that perception. He was definitely not in a mm-hmm. very safe place that probably that probably hurt his ability to get rehabilitation where he was. Which is sad because he was trying to do better for himself. He wanted to get out of there, do that excursion, get in nature, and and just see the world from a different perspective, going to school. But it was just constant moving forward one step, but then like three steps back. Yeah. So it was just a struggle all the way, and he just gave up. But I think one other thing I just want to say, I think the reason he actually committed the suicide... Mm -hmm was the fact that he did get arrested and he did have a court date coming up. And I think the fact that he had court coming up, he was like, this is hell all over again. This is about to happen. They did it to me once. What's, who's going to say that it's not going to happen to me all over again? And honestly, dying would be better than going back to that hell yeah. that he was in. So I think that really was a major factor in him committing the suicide and ending it because he didn't want to have to go through that court process. He saw the system failed him once already and look what it did to him. Why would he even take a chance on giving them another chance with him? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, sorry. I just got... It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think Khalif was a martyr? Um, I think that in the context of what he did and shining light on the Rikers incident, I do believe that he is one. Um, is and I believe Jay Z has said that throughout the documentary to some extent. If this incident did not happen, if it was not recorded, if he did not come out and speak about it, subsequent him being arrested and really kind of going around and having these talks about even his mother, subsequent his death, she was still doing the work. No one would have been really notified to this extent about the the culture of Rikers. Um, and especially in terms of the prison industrial complex and how it's performed. And I think it's important that... I guess my stance is to... I'm sick and tired of black men and women being 
being considered martyrs or dying for us to see what's going on in the world. Uh, some form of social injustice. I feel like how many lives do we have to lose for people to really see these certain injustices that's going on? He shouldn't have had to die. He shouldn't have been in that situation. He didn't commit suicide. Someone said in the documentary, we, we killed him. Society, um, the guards, the way the prison is set up, you know, every the prosecutors, everyone who played a part in this, like, killed him. He didn't really kill himself. Um, and I do believe that he was a martyr because, you know, we wouldn't have known anything and how it had an effect in terms of teens, people within his age group. And as a result, too, you know, Obama did come out subsequent, all information pertaining to him about, you know, not disbanding solitary confinement for a juvenile primarily in the federal prison industrial complex. And I think that's important. You know, I'm glad that he was able to make that difference and that change prior to him no longer becoming, no longer being our president. But um, I think that's very important because you have black men like him and boys and even girls and women that are in these institutions and, you know, solitary confinement, no matter the state of whether they're guilty or not. And then going through these things, I think primarily in his case, it's because he was innocent. That makes it even more horrific. It's like this dude was completely innocent and he was in solitary confinement for numbers of days, practically went crazy. And when he came out, he didn't get the proper treatment that he needed. It's unfortunate he had to go through that. But now a lot of us are well aware of what's going on. And thankfully, Jay-Z signed on to this project to make it a sick um, part documentary and to kind of give more light to the matter. I read about this when it happened um, and I was well informed about the situation previous years when I heard about it. And I was emotional. I was like, are you serious? And I was surprised that it wasn't talked about as much, like heavily. And now I'm glad that people are seeing this documentary and seeing it for what it is. And now they're having dialogue and conversations around it. What were your emotions like while you were watching the documentary? Um, I was I was going through a roller coaster. I I just felt felt bad for him and all the stuff that he was going through, like just watching him getting jumped and when he first got to jail multiple times. I'm like, how can it get worse than this? And then going, and then it got worse. Yeah, then it just got worse. Then I'm like, okay, he got out of jail. He survived. Rikers for three years and like Jay-Z even mentioned people come back home from Rikers like wear it as a badge of honor sometimes but he was able to survive that and come back and then he still was going through hardships in terms of just he had gotten shot at one point by one of the people who lived on his block just constant harassment he felt like he was being he was, became paranoid felt like people were after him like this kid like from day one it was just hell all throughout. And then I got I got scared because I'm like, this could happen to anyone. Yeah. The fact that... He's a regular yeah. dude. Like, he got picked up on the street just like any regular black dude. Yeah. That could have happened to you. Seriously. So, yeah, just putting in that perspective, like, this could happen to me or anyone, any, someone close to me, like, that just had me going through the motions as well and... And then just angry, like, first of all, like, just how corrupt the system could be with just, like, the correction officers, how the the lawyers knew that they didn't have a case, but they just kept prolonging it, kept prolonging it, knowing that he was in prison, but just automatically assuming he was guilty and just hoping he would take the plea bargain just be, for their stats, like, yeah, I, that was just pissing me off, so 
Yeah, I went through a roller coaster of emotions during the the documentary. What well, about did you? Did you? Um, I went through emotions too, and I was glad they split it up in a six part documentary. Um, I like the gap that every week it was gonna come on. I don't think it's something you could sit through for six hours and watch. If you do watch it, for the people who are listening to our show, go right ahead. I commend you, but it was heavy. There were scenes and there were parts of it where it was heavy. I definitely think the last two documentaries really got me emotionally where I was literally crying. Um, so I I think that my emotions was like yours too. It was a roller coaster. It primarily was like sad and very emotional. Um, I think there were parts of it where I seen where he was laughing or try to smile in a documentary or with his mom. Those scenes put a smile on my face. But there it was a mixture of emotions and I was definitely really sad watching it. And internalizing it, it was just like, wow, this is like really massive. But also, I like that there was a connection of people on social media who hashtag Khalif brought it, so everyone was kind of in the know and watching it, and to kind of have that dialogue on like Twitter or like Facebook. So that's something that kind of gave me a bit of relief is able to have a dialogue with people while I'm watching it because it was a very heavy thing to watch, but it was necessary. No, it was definitely necessary. And I just want to know, do you? Now that you've seen it, have does it make you question integrity integrity of Rikers um, Island correctional officers or correctional officers in general? Um, to be honest, after watching this, yeah, because the the correction office the correction officers union, it seems like they're pretty much aware of a lot of the things that are going on, but they're constantly protecting each other mm-hmm. and. I, I feel like that's, it's, to take a word from your book, it's problematic. Like, <laughs> it's like my favorite word. <laughs> but yeah, like the fact that people knew that stuff was like, stuff like this was going on, whether it was the extortion or just bringing in illegal contraband into the prison, torturing people. But like, this was just like part of the job and people just got thrusted into this. And this was just like, it, it, it just, it seems crazy to me that the, people knew this was happening and there was no real actions being done to actually change it. This was just the status quo and that's yeah. is how it's supposed to go. It just goes back to, it's supposed to be a rehabilitation center. What's the point of going to jail if you're just going to fuck mess with people so much that they just come out worse? Especially like, when they're innocent. Exactly. Which is like even more of an issue because it's like, wow, they were completely innocent, went into jail, they were pretty sane and then they came out insane because of the way that they were treated. Um, let's be clear here. Um, we don't want people to think that all correction officers are corrupt and they partake in heinous acts because that's not the case. I'm well aware, we are well aware that correction officers, there are ones who go out there, they do their due diligence, they put on a uniform, they do their job, and they actually do their job down to the T, follow rules and regulations, and treat people with ultimate respect. I just want that to be clear because I don't... I think walking away from this documentary, for some correction officers, they may view it as it's anti-correction officers or um, Jay-Z's against them or whatever the case may be. That's not the purpose of this documentary, and I just wanted to make it clear that we know that there are good ones out there. This documentary highlighted the bad correction officers, the ones that partake in corruption, and I'm sorry... We have to talk about those people. We have to figure out ways how we can fix the system and also have them a part of the solution because they played a part in this guy's death. Um, so I don't want to sugarcoat what happened and I don't want us to like bypass it. I do. I One thing I appreciate about this documentary that highlighted what these correction officers, these corrupt 
correctional officers were doing in Rikers Island. And I'm, we cannot just like basically be oblivious to it. Yeah. So I just want to make clear that we know that there are some good ones out there. And for the ones who are doing their job and their due diligence, we commend you and we thank you for the work that you do. But also, we hope that you are speaking out against the ones that are do that are not doing well and who are a part of the corruption that was highlighted in this documentary, which I think is very important. Um, so we're gonna move further in terms of the family. Um, subsequent him leaving prison, they filed a twenty million dollar lawsuit against New York City, and that process was delayed heavily. Um, it was like an ongoing issue, and his father, who did not want to give money towards the bill, but he decided to come around to claim some of Khalees. Khalifa states, which is really kind of interesting because it's like when a boy needed the money to be bailed out of jail, you said he was a problem. Now that he was somehow going to potentially inherit the $20 million, it was a matter of, oh, okay, well, now that he's going to inherit this money, I want to be a part of that. As a result, his mother, Vanita Browder, was getting sick due to heart conditions and was tired. Um, she had about two heart attacks. And she had to watch and support her son, Justice, while he was alive and then had to continue the work subsequent his death. So she was, a to me, she was the epitome of a strong black woman because she continued going on doing speeches and forums surrounding this just to let people know what was going on because, yes, Khalif Browder did that while he was alive, but after he committed suicide, she basically had to pick up the torch and continue the work because she wanted people to know what happened to her son and how she lost her son. And in turn, in terms of this, um, the lawsuit that was pending, um, unfortunately, his mother died of a broken heart in October 2016. The lawyer of the family, Prestia, did say that Vanita Brada was a woman of incredible grace and compassion who tirelessly fought for justice for her son, Khalif, and who championed the civil rights of others in our city. But the stress from this crusade coupled with the strain of the pending lawsuits against the city and the pain of the death were too much for her to bear, in my opinion, which is in his opinion, she literally died of a broken heart. And I wanted to read that part because I know we may think, I know when I read it, when I found out she died, and I know some people may be skeptical, like, how do you die of a broken heart? But when you watch this documentary and you realize how much work she's put in, you can see why that was the case. She was tired. And she said it so many times throughout the documentary. She's like, I'm just tired. Like, you had my son in this place. You treated him like this. Now he's out. He committed suicide, and now I have to fight the same people who put him in for money that we're deserving of. And she was out of a home because her husband, at the time, wanted to sell the house, so she had to move out. It was a lot she had to take on, and she was just really tired, and she really missed and loved her son. And that's something that I thought that was a very pivotal point of the documentary. And it's sad that she died of a broken heart, but I get it, and I understand it. Yeah, it's... It's crazy that that it was bad enough that he committed suicide and he died, but then after that, it the story just kept on being more heartbreaking because then his mom passed away due to just pretty much the over five year battle from the day her son got arrested to constantly in and out of court dates and then he's finally out. But now we're going through the lawsuit. It's just. I just have nothing but sympathy and just, yeah. And also to bear in mind, um, she was not his biological mother. Mm. She was his adoptive mother, and the same thing applies to his father. Khalif was in foster care throughout his life, and he had ended up being in our home for the majority of his time. 
and um, she had his other brothers as well. So he's been through the system. And it's sad that, that, you know, they talk about him being a product of the system. And now, like, in turn, he was affected by what happened throughout. And as a result, he committed suicide and he died. So it's like he born into foster care. And then he's a part of this family, which for the most part, they were a great family to him. Primarily his mom and his siblings. And then the fact that he ended up committing suicide. And then she's having to fight the good fight for her son. But I just wanted to touch base on that. Um... And I just think it's really sad. Yeah. I thought the documentary within itself was just... It was hard to take in, but it was necessary. I think it's needed. I think everyone should watch it. Um, And I think what I would like to see is more discussions around it. I want to see what's going to be done. What's the next step? Now he's he's dead and his mom died. What are the next steps we're going to take so this doesn't happen again? So they're actually in talks about potentially renaming Rikers after Khalif. And then in addition to that, well, his brother said that he wouldn't rather they do that. He said they he appreciate the gesture and stuff, but they would rather he they not rename that part by Khalif Rotter. He was saying that, and I was just like, okay, and I understand that. I I think renaming it doesn't really do justice to the situation. I True. get what they're doing, but it's like, come on, really? And as you were saying, and then in addition to that, th- like because of this documentary that really shed light on what happened and bringing it to the forefront. And like sparking that discussion, Mayor de Blasio has actually set in motion a 10-year plan to close Rikers Island. To be honest, I have mixed emotions about that because it's great that they would close Rikers Island because of just all the corruption that was going on there. And definitely check out the documentary because it goes into more insight about the history of Rikers Island and like it's pretty eye-opening. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change the system. It doesn't change the, a lot of inherent biases that are in the system. And it, it a lot more needs to be done. I think closing this one prison, it, it looks good and it sounds great right after this documentary coming out. But like one of Khalid Brother's brothers said in an interview, he said that this seems pretty convenient because... There's an election coming up yeah, soon, and very interesting. It this is great timing to yeah. say, hey, we're putting in a plan, and it's gonna be in ten years down the line, like. But if you go along with our plan and you, <laughs> and I win your vote, then yay. But yeah, so I think I think it's a great first step, but there's so much more that needs to be done, and just overhaul of the system and how things are designed from top to bottom, from the constant biases that are inherently in the system to the way system set up with the plea bargains people spending time in jail because the only crime they're actually guilty of is not being able to afford bail to get out when they're innocent just the corruption when it comes to being in the prison prisoners being in jail and actually being rehabilitated and being able to be re-released back into society as a productive member instead of going in there as a rotten apple if they were guilty of whatever crimes they were guilty of but then being treated like an animal and coming out even worse and then they usually end up back in prison or back on the streets doing the same crimes or possibly just end up dead like it it's a cycle it's just Uh, yeah it is a cycle and i think you touch a lot of valid points 
I'm not sure if closing it is going to solve any or all the problems, but I do think it's a start. And I'm open to it. I'm going to be quite honest. I'm open to Rikers closing because this is not the first time you hear stories about Rikers and things that happen with inmates. And it's just all around corruption, I think, at this point. And I think, you know, it's a 10-year plan. And that's what I like. It's not something that's it's going to be closed within a year. Where it's like, then it's going to be like, whoa, so what are you going to do within that year span? Tenure, to me, is a bit of a stretch. I was hoping maybe five or six, like half of that. But, you know, I guess whatever plans they put in place is why, um, in terms of the length of it. But I don't necessarily think, I do question what's next. Because if they close this, you know, they, they do have plans to open up jails in other areas or whatever the case may be. My only thing is, how is it going to be ran? How are these jails going to be, like, in terms of rules and regulations or who's overseeing it? How is it going to be handled in a way where corruption cannot happen in these jails? Because whether you close one Rikers and you open up five more other jails and the same amount of corruption is existing in those five jails that did in Rikers, it really defeats the purpose of closing it. Yeah. So my thing is if they are going to close it, what are they going to put in place and what kind of people they're going to have in place in terms of the correction officers, in terms of the people overseeing it to make sure they're, they're being fully held accountable? And that's where my question comes into play. And also to ensure that juveniles, I would hope, also are no longer being um, in solitary confinement, depending on what jails they put in place, what steps they plan on bettering that system. So I do think, <coughs> sorry, I do think you touch upon a lot of valid points, but I would have to say I'm for them closing it. Um, and it, it is interesting. It's around election time. So it's like, oh, let's see how this pan out if so-and-so wins the election this time around. Um, but that's something to consider. But I am open to it, and I think it's a great plan. I think it's unfortunate that it took for, I think in some part, Khalif brought a prompt for this enclosure of Rikers in addition to everything else. Like I said before, it's unfortunate we had to lose a life for us to realize the social injustice that exists and how we can rectify it. Definitely. So thank you for tuning in, guys. This was, again, really deep and heavy episode, and we really appreciate you guys tuning in and following us along on this journey. So please, as always, follow us on Instagram at underscore unapologetically underscore different and at Twitter at unapologetic two underscores D. And you can also send us an email at unapologetically different at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye.